0: It's nine o'clock in time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in today to the show. Very glad you can be with us. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We Are Just Christians will be on till 10 o'clock a.m. here Eastern Time in Port St. Lucie. And uh, we're glad to come to you every week at this time. Hope you can, as I mentioned. Hope you can stay with us. We're live, and it's a live call-in show. So in just a moment, I'm going to give you the information how to get a hold of us here on the air if you'd like to talk. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the elders and the preacher for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And as usual, my partner Gary. How you doing, Gary?
1: I'm doing pretty good this morning, Mike.
0: Well, maybe I'm his partner. I don't <laughs> know how that works, but we're glad we can both be here together. We do the show together and, and uh, try to give two different perspectives on things. I guess Gary and I share a lot of Basic uh, presuppositions And things, maybe things we don't even know about And yet we're two uh, very different people With different perspectives on things We come to the show Each of us with things prepared to talk about We don't sit down and detail out Everything we're going to say In a scripted manner
1: This is mostly uh, impromptu, all of it
0: It is often impromptu Because we've looked looked at things, studied things And hopefully that gives it a fresh look We're not trying to uh, just You know Ram something down people's throats, but try to look at what the scriptures say. So this show is about, since it's called We Are Just Christians, it's about being just a New Testament Christian here in the 21st century, getting past and beyond all of the different denominations, all the different ideas, even human philosophies and political ideas back to what the Bible says about how a person ought to think, live, and uh, do the things we do in this world together, both as a church and as individuals. So it's a live call-in show. Let me give you the numbers, how to reach us. You can reach us here at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. You'll get patched right through to us here. We're, we're in our church building and doing the show over Skype. So Ray there at the station will take your call, patch it through to us, and we'll be able to have a conversation. You can also reach us by text. At seven, seven Well, we have two text numbers. I have one. Gary has one. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is my text number, and then seven seven two two six zero six two two zero is Gary's number. Six two two zero. So let me give you the ground rules, like we usually do, in case you're a new listener to the show. This show is not. Af- we're not afraid of disagreement. If you want to call in, and disagree. Strongly with us, we have no problem with that whatsoever.
1: And by the way, we're not here to
0: argue with people about things, though, and and just or try to set people up to make fun of them or anything like that.
1: By the way, we don't hate people that disagree with us.
0: Not, no, not at all. In fact, we'd like you to call in if you disagree. It'd be great.
1: Which seems to be a characteristic of the world.
0: Yes, as soon as you disagree, that's called hate, and we we simply don't buy that presupposition at all. There is such a thing as hate, but disagreeing with someone. Intellectually or even spiritually is certainly not an evidence of hate, uh, hatred. I don't have to accept everything that you believe and do, and you don't have to ev- accept everything that I believe and do. Uh, we, we have uh, the privilege of using our minds to think about the things that we do, and look at what the scriptures say, and then hopefully change our thoughts and behaviors to be conformed with that.
1: Well, Mike, in, that in any event,
0: up. that that's this show is not about just disagreeing.
1: Well, that brings up something. You said, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think or what Mike thinks or what you think about the scripture. What really matters is what God says in the scripture. And John twelve forty eight is one of those. We say that Jesus has said the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's us. Right. So the only one that really matters about who what they think is God, and that's found in the scriptures. Right.
0: And if you don't believe in God, we'd like to talk with you about that, too. It would be great to receive some calls from folks that are either agnostic or doubting or do not believe in God or the church or anything like that, and uh, to, to talk about these things in a respectful way. So we're going to hopefully, be, if you call in with a question or comment, we're going to take your call, listen to your question, make some comments about that. You can respond. We'll have a conversation. And then we're going to give you the last word in that conversation so you don't feel like we're just... Uh, using you uh, in some way or taking advantage of you, you can have the last say. And then we'll go on to something else. That's what the show's about. And hopefully in the end, we can all learn something. We're going to try to give you this show. We're going to try to give you uh, some scriptures, some something from the Bible to take with you, to look at, to to understand. Whether we, you and I agree in the end what the meaning of that is, well, we can't determine that ahead of time. But we're going to try to give you the scriptures not simply our opinion, although we do express our understanding of what the Scriptures say. Gary and I are going to make any bones about our presuppositions about life and Christianity in the Scriptures. But we certainly, though, don't share the presuppositions of, say, a Roman Catholic priest or even an evangelical scholar of some sort, a preacher. We probably have something in common with both of those. Or John Calvin. Or John Calvin. Yeah, we're certainly <laughs> not going to accept, say, well, this is a Christian idea, so we accept all of that, or some preacher said this, some televangelist or some other preacher said this, so we we must believe that too. We'll try not to ascribe to you things that you don't believe, and we will expect the same from you, that you don't ascribe to us something that we don't believe, just because you've heard some other Christian or some other celebrity say that, That that's not even fair. So we're not going to do that as best we can. And if we do that, and we'd like you to call us out on those things, 772-340-1590 is the call-in number, or you can certainly text the show, and we'll be glad to take your text. We can usually respond in some way to text messages on the show, but not always, depending on what's going on around here. Uh, <clears throat> I used to have a three-track mind. I barely got a one-track mind now, <laughs> Gary, so... uh it feels like some days, and this well, week for some reason has been particularly bad. I seem like everything I do, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I just see, can't seem to get a good feeling about what's going on. That's. I hope well, it's not the sign of big things to come. Well, as it
1: were. the only thing I'd like to say, Mike, is you uh, talked about presuppositions, and and I'm going to express one of ours. I think you and I both hold this in common. In Galatians chapter 1 Beginning in verse 11 Paul says But I make known to you brethren that the Gospel which was preached by me is Not according to man For I neither received it from man Nor was I taught it but it came through The revelation of Jesus Christ Um, Mike and I Assume that the Bible as written Old and New Testament was Inspired directly by God and Is the word of God that's a presupposition That we hold You, You may not want to hold that but that's where we're coming from.
0: Okay. Well, um, and I, I, that's exactly right. Now, we got a, a text uh, just now, Gary. Okay. We'll see what we can do with it. This is from John. He he's texted us a couple of weeks ago. We were, we were not live last week. So we got two things. One is about that show, about the poetry of the Old Testament, about Zechariah 9. looks like Jesus is going to ride on two animals or one animal. And Matthew. There's two animals there. We're going to talk about that a little bit. The other one was something that came right after we got off the air that I want to talk about. We were talking about a question that came in as a call from, uh, uh, I want to say Jerry, about reincarnation and the Bible, what the Bible says about reincarnation. We talked briefly about that. But then someone texted in at the end of the show just as we were going off the air about what the bible says about deja vu is deja vu an evidence of reincarnation that feeling that you've already been there before and so forth so we're, we're going to try to get to both of those here uh, in a few minutes let's um and I'll, now um the john if you're going to text about this i know you're probably listening or you wouldn't have texted in uh you may have to refresh my memory about this but the passage that is quoted that you quoted or was brought up and we we've talked about let me back up a little bit further gary sorry i'm talking about zechariah nine
1: yeah. yes
0: let me back up a little bit further we've talked about the fact in the past that to understand the bible correctly sometimes you've got to take a look at the genre or type of literature that's that is expressing itself with some things in the bible are historical narrative like the book of luke or acts or first second Chronicles. some things are are simply uh, essays in prose, like Romans, which is a nar- not a narrative as such, a story, but it's really just doctrinal exposition. And then you've got something like Psalms, which are poetry. Now, the prophets use several different kinds of imagery, or several different kinds of literature, as it were, to get across their message. Sometimes it's poetry. Sometimes it's apocalyptic poetry, which involves the use of specific kinds of images and numbers that are in certain prophecies. And sometimes pro- prophets are more like what we might call preaching. They're simply ex- exposing the truth about certain things. So there's all different kinds of Bible literature. Some of the Bible is poetry, uh, like so- like I mentioned, songs and Song of Solomon. So when you look at that, the truth is there. It's being expressed. It's just being expressed in different ways and so it it, at times it's helpful to understand both the form of something that's written in as well as the content of that so literature art sculpture architecture everything has two elements in general form and content and when you look at something to analyze it at least this is what they taught me at the at the university of miami as it were in um, Well, Bear University through the University of Miami in a great class on art history and stuff, Gary. you got to look at form and content. So you can see a message being portrayed through architecture as well as one being portrayed through a painting and so forth. Now, that all gets a little bit out of the realm of the Bible per se. But God does use these kinds of things. For example, to back up even a little further from where we are, when when you look at what God did in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of creating one man and then from that man creating a woman to be his companion, God specifically says, Jesus does in Matthew 19, that the fact of that historical fact of he making one man and then a woman for the man was expressing God's will in that matter. He states it later, but that's the expression of God's will. What God did, like building a building, would be an expression of, of artistic. So, now what John is getting at, though, is the poetry of Zechariah nine, beginning in verse nine, which is a, apparently a messianic prophecy, <clears throat> and I think even the Jews probably thought it was a messianic prophecy. And where it says, and the fact that that text there is applied differently by Matthew than it is here in Zechariah. So let's take a look at that. Uh, Rejoice, he says, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion is another name for the city that we call Jerusalem. It has, it's a spiritual name, and so forth. Sometimes it's used of Israel itself. Sometimes it's used yeah, I was, of I was going to say, sometimes throne, it's
1: used as the greater part of the nation. Right. And, or it's, or even a, Jer- it's even
0: used as a part of Jerusalem, because Mount Zion is different yeah. than the rest of the city of Jerusalem. So it's used different ways. But here I think he's talking about the children of Israel. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's a parallelism there. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And I think John is saying that probably at first reading. You're thinking here he's riding on one animal. He's riding on a donkey. And then there's a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the question is, is the donkey riding on a colt, a foal of a donkey, part donkey, part horse? What, what is this animal he's riding on here? Now, then, when you um, go to Matthew 21, uh, it says, it quotes this, and it, it, uh, Jesus here is talking to his disciples in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they, that is Jesus and the disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go. To the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, "The Lord has need of them," and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, and he quotes Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, "Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." And so. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. So now the question, and they began to cut down branches. This is the, called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so the question is he, is answered here, some would say by Matthew, one animal or two. And some say Jesus sat on the larger animal, and maybe you have pictures of him uh, paintings later him putting feet on the smaller animal or for him sitting on one and then leading the other one along beside him as a sign, as a sign that uh, this was something different. This is something different than what you would usually see. And that's why it was a sign. You wouldn't you didn't just see somebody riding on a donkey or leading a donkey. You saw him sitting on one with another one with him. And so that's probably why it was considered a sign. So John says, mainly what seems to be a contradiction in Matthew was the writer not understanding the literature style. Well, I don't know about that part, but I do know that – I don't know whether Matthew didn't understand the literature style or whether the Holy Spirit or the prophecy should be applied this way. Now, you see the same parallel – this is Rita because we're here – in John 12, where the writer of the book of John – or John says, then Jesus – when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So here you and the disciple did not understand these things at first. So here it appears that he's sitting on the colt of a donkey. Now, which one is it? I think I I tend I've always tended to think, I don't have proof for this beyond the text that you're reading that he was sitting on one animal and uh, there was two there, there were two animals there or that the one animal was the colt of another animal and i'm not sure which one it is okay that's the problem now there's another reference to this let's see if i can look it up here in um, mark 11 I've got to find this, yeah.
1: Mark 11. Mark
0: 11, 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage, Bethany <clears throat> at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And so they went their way. And they found a colt tied by the door outside the street, and they loosed it, and but some of those who stood there said to him, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them as Jesus had commanded, saying, The Lord, you know, the Lord had needs has need of it. So they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. So here here you have well, I think what John is getting at is you have John and Mark saying that he sat on the young colt. Matthew seems to imply that there were two animals there but the other way to read the poetry the poem in in Zechariah is that it it is one is the colt of a donkey the other one is that there were two a- <coughs> pardon me but there were two animals there so john says my assumption is that mark understood the literature style meaning he was using uh you know Double reference for this one animal. I don't know the answer. I've I've always been suspicious of the painting where you see um, Jesus sitting on a large animal with his feet on a smaller one. Um, that doesn't make sense. It'd be more like him sitting on an animal, another one led on led along beside it. But is the donkey the colt the foal of a the foal of an ass? You know? What well, do you think,
1: Gary? Well, i thought about this before. Well, I don't think. Zechariah nine nine was intended to tell them exactly what he was going to be riding in other than the sense that there was a donkey of some form. Uh the colt if, if, if you're riding on a donkey, uh you know, there all colts and folds of donkeys are donkeys. It's kind of a subset.
0: Well yes, that's what I'm trying I'm trying and, and, that's and the way that, of saying what I'm right. trying to say yeah. not very well. It,
1: it, yes. That's a subset mm-hmm. of all donkeys and he was going to be riding on that and it's a it's a literary expression. But basically what we have to remember about these prophecies was that they were not intended, I don't believe, to predict exactly what was going to happen, other than just give you enough information that when you saw it, you would recognize it.
0: Yes, when you saw it, you would recognize it. When it's, you saw it, as you I, I mentioned recognize- many times before, you have to prophecy is about seeing something really after the fact,
1: and, and not so much before the facts. Right. And, and the only reason this is included is all we know for sure. I believe that there's a donkey and the colt of a donkey that's involved in this, and all of basically all of the, the gospels seem to indicate that.
0: Well, now what 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 uh, the use that has been made of this situation? That John brings up here is that the writers of the Gospels are contradicting each other in this case I think John is saying it's more of maybe perhaps Matthew not understanding the literary style but there, there's a big group of uh, studies that have been done or you know people studied this whole idea of how Matthew uses prophecy different than the other New Testament writers yes. particularly other gospel writers Matthew's use of prophecy is much different than theirs and uh, you don't don't seem to be able to make some some of the connections that he does now when you're like me and Gary here and you believe the holy spirit inspired Matthew to write these things it's not a big problem because i simply take a look at what this the gospel writer here said and i believe that's what it meant and so forth, but the question is, how many animals was he riding on? Well, he was riding on one animal. If there were two animals at the scene, for example, most of the time a foal being a young animal, does it picture here a more mature animal and a young animal with it? Well, it's possible that they kept these two animals together there, tied up, a mother and its foal or colt. And and they brought both animals. Jesus rode on one animal. That seems to be what otherwise it was. the
1: picture in your mind is like these uh, demonstration riders I've seen in the movie where you ride on two horses by standing up. Yeah, I mean that doesn't make sense. That makes in, no sense here. In, in this now the other option is
0: that the, the, when it says riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of an ass. Now that's speaking of the same animal. He's just describing. Yeah. That it's a young animal he's riding on here, not an older right. animal, and it is it is a donkey, not a horse, as right. it were, which would be very uncommon. Although they did have horses. Well, verse
1: there. ten says horses. the horses are going to be gone from Jerusalem. He's going to cut off the chariots and the horse from Jerusalem. There's other symbolism in verse ten that goes with Zechariah too. So there there well, may then, even be a contrast. Now I think I
0: think that's part of this prophecy. Yeah. I think the reason it's a donkey has spiritual significance. I, I can't. Off the top of my head here, I'm going to have to just say I think it means a, the commonness of a donkey. Yeah, it was a common kind of animal of poor people. Well, it wasn't considered not a horse, a more
1: noble animal. Well, it didn't Messiah. have the status or the power of a horse.
0: And it says he's lowly riding on this donkey, not a king coming into Jerusalem riding on a big white horse, you know, with other soldiers or around or a chariot. But this is a king coming in riding on a donkey. So the symbolism of Zach—that's the main symbolism to get from this verse.
1: Yeah, I, know. Uh, I don't
0: think it indicates a contradiction. I think it, it like—and that's possible. What John is saying is that that it's just an expression of the literary style being used of, of repetition.
1: Well, if you wish to find contradictions in the Bible, if if that's what you're looking for, and that's what your uh, preconceived ideas are, you can certainly find them. Well, they're going to have to be... And this is not the only one.
0: No, they're going to have to be strong. A contradiction, by definition, is not just something that may seem inconsistent, but it actually is something that cannot exist at the same time from something, as one other thing. Contradiction is something that's completely against the other option, not something that may fit with it or may be a type of the other thing. And that's all you have here. Is it one animal or two animals? Is it a larger animal or a younger animal? Now, you, you can debate about that, and you, can decide, you have to decide what did Zechariah mean by this. Well, the way I interpret prophecy, Gary, if I can, is by looking at what the New Testament writer, through the Holy
1: Spirit, Looked
0: said. Looked back on it and,
1: and said, and that's that. what it is. Okay. Uh, like, like Peter said in Acts 2 of the quote from Joel, this is that. That was very clear. That's one of the things that sometimes is pointed out in the New Testament. Uh, i believe i believe it's very clear sometimes it's not quite so clear but uh acts chapter 2 i think peter says when he quotes joel he says this is what the joel, what the prophet joel spoke of and then he quoted joel right uh, well the,
0: the most famous one of these kinds of things i mat i imagine is um this passage in jer in isaiah 7:14 where it says the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Uh, behold, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, people say, Well, the word virgin there in Hebrew means young woman. Well, let me tell you something. According to the Bible, according to the Hebrew culture, a young woman, an unmarried young woman, was, was a virgin. virgin. Okay. okay that, but but that that you can say, well, it's a young woman. And some versions translate this young woman, the King James, New King James, others translate it a virgin. Well, when you come over to Matthew, uh, M- Matthew, Matthew, I think interprets this and says in chapter one, verse twenty-three, well, uh, verse twenty-two, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the by the Lord through the prophet, saying, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son; they shall call his name Emmanuel." Which is translated "God be with us." Now, this is <clears throat> this is after the angel speaks to Joseph and says, "Don't be afraid to take Mary as a, your wife because, yes, she's known. No, I know that you haven't slept with her, but what she's carrying comes from the Holy Spirit." So Matthew defines what what Isaiah is saying and tells me very clearly that the word "virgin" there, whatever you, whatever you may think the Hebrews thought about it meant a virgin, one who had never had relations with a man, specifically says about Mary that she had known no man. And so how can this be, she says? Well, because I'm a virgin is what she's trying to say. So I, I'm i just saying I'm going to let the Bible, in this case, interpret itself for me and let what is unclear in the prophets, what's, what may be unclear or ambiguous in the prophetic language, like in Zechariah or Isaiah, becomes clearer When you see how it's fulfilled And how the writers of the New Testament Say this is the fulfillment of that And yes I know there's debate about how Matthew Uses prophecy sometimes you do scratch Your head over what Matthew Says this is that but um, I have to go from what I know to what I Don't know in that case not just Throw it all out now
1: um, Well I just go back to the the idea that If you're presupposition is i'm going to find something that indicates this does not come from god then i, I can't help that you're, you're going to find enough questions in it that you can justify that if you wish to right uh, that so here's um another
0: john says um,
1: on the other hand mike there are things in here that just do not there it, the more you more i study the bible the things that i find in here that just not do not go with what men normally do there are things in the bible that just do not fit with the and sometimes that's the point of it and that's the point of it Uh, you know the heroes in the bible all seem to have their flaws whereas you know basically when we see the writings of the kings and so on they never admitted their own flaws they they were they presented you know the perfect person to the world and yet the bible does not do that that's just not the character of he
0: doesn't And I think this is a part of This is God trying to tell Israel your king Is a humble lowly person Yes not like the worldly king That you want or like The, the one you're seeing that the Romans are putting Forth uh, this is a lowly Person uh, because he's riding On a donkey I think that's the whole point of this Passage and getting yes. caught up in the details Might miss that now John also Says something that I'm not familiar with here He says Jesus rode into the into the east gate while Pilate rode into the west side Almost making fun of the Romans And uh, hmm, I, I know that I've seen that east gate Or what what looked like it They've walled it off The Muslims walled off that east gate
1: Sometimes called the golden gate
0: Yeah, it, it faces the Mount of Olives And when you stand on the Mount of Olives You can look at the wall of Jerusalem across the way And you can see the where a gate has been Walled in.
1: Well, it, it seems like That's, when Jesus, uh, uh, this is the part that I remember from the Gospels and from Scripture. It seems like Jesus, when he spent his time in Jerusalem, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, spent his days teaching in the temple or near the temple, and then his nights he would go back to the Mount of Olives, which would well,
0: or all the way across to Bethany, yeah. which was another six was six miles right. or so, good long walk across, and it's a it's not flat
1: but to the east he, he, been, he would, he went would to the retreat east, east. to the east he'd now, come the out
0: that east gate and that's the interesting part of standing looking at this is that you see he would have to go down into this valley and back up onto the mount of olives and then over the mount of olives to where martha and lazarus lived. And martha and mary lived yeah. on the other side and it's a pretty long walk and, and at his crucifixion top, at the garden of gethsemane on that mount of olives he went just down the valley and back up but you can stand there in the Garden, what we believe is the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can see this gate. And a Muslim leader, and I forgot his name now, several hundred years after Christ, obviously, because Islam did not begin until 650 years after Christ, approximately. Sometime much after that, <clears throat> conquered Jerusalem and walled in that gate. I think I've told you before here, Gary, that he walled in the gate. And on, the, on that hillside, if you're standing on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem, you see all these graves.
1: It's an Islamic. It's graveyard. an
0: Islamic cemetery on the side of that hill leading up to Jerusalem, uh, and what what you now facing that on the Mount of Olives is a Jewish cemetery, from what I, my recollection of this. And so what you what he said was, he had read that the, that Jesus was coming back to Jerusalem from the east, maybe a, a reference partly to this prophecy, and he was going to make sure Jesus could not get in the city. He was going to bar up the gate, and he was going to put Muslim graves, and surely Jesus would not cross all that Muslim cemetery, all those dead Muslims, and get back into the city that way. Of course, I just don't think he knew who Jesus was, did he?
1: Right. Of course. Uh, you know, you know, that's really going to stop somebody who can walk through walls and raise the dead. Right. <laughs> that, that, exactly. That, that makes me chuckle so, every time yes. I think about it. So, that.
0: Uh, they they didn't. They were trying to keep you know Jews out of that part out of that city, and so forth, and that's why you see these cemeteries there and so forth, but it is interesting to read to think about this prophecy, these prophecies when you go there and stand and look at what it what is said well, there's and another, where Jesus
1: was there's another thing that's interesting about this is the temple, which most people don't think about the temple in Jesus' time. Opened to the east it faced the east it faced the rising sun And I believe they also yeah. when they set up the tabernacle It was set up to face the rising sun it right. was oriented to the east So when he looked back he would see The front of the temple basically when it stood
0: right. Yeah and John John mentions the fact that these uh, The Jews at the time of Christ before these great festivals Passover and so forth would would paint these Tombs of their own tombs along the wayside because wherever a person died if they were on the road and they were killed they buried the person there And generally speaking and uh, so there were tombs along the roadways and and jews had to stay clear of these Or they could or they would travel all this way to jerusalem Touch a tomb a dead body and, and be unclean not be able to go into the temple And so they painted them with whitewash so people could see them easily We'd put caution tape around them or something.
1: Even even but in the a, dark. Yeah,
0: sometimes. they could see them easier, so they wouldn't defile themselves for several days while they but by touching a dead body. And so, <clears throat> and this is got, even refers to "let the dead bury the dead." You know, that whole there's a whole thinking about behind this. But but that's why they they that's why partly probably why this Muslim did the same thing. And so Jesus called these uh, the Pharisees. You know, tombs, sepulchres full of dead men's bones, nice and shiny on the outside, but on the inside, full Full of of corruption, full of corruption. Anyway, that's. um, That's what I got on that Zachariah prophets, I have to admit, Gary I hadn't looked that up in a long time. And so I feel like my answer was pretty incomplete, but that's the best I can do with uh, what's what's before me this morning. Maybe we can take a little more. Uh, a little more time on this later if you'd like to hear more about this just text us or email me and and me and gary and we'll talk about that you can reach us by text 772-340 wrong number 772-260-6120 that's my text number gary's text number 772-260-6220 if you'll text us or you can email us and we'll talk about this question or any others. You can email the show at justchristians@att.net at at The
1: only thing I'd say is the the substance of Zechariah nine nine tells me that Jesus could have been riding either a donkey or the colt, to foal of a donkey. Either way, he rode a donkey. And and your point is that's a an animal of less status and less power well, than a horse.
0: I mentioned he's lowly yeah. coming on them. he's he's lowly coming on this animal. So I think that's the main point that Zachariah is making. Now then it does bring up the interesting issue of the of the differences in expression between Matthew and the synoptic gospel writers. and maybe I can do a little more reading in a contemporary way on that. Some of the, my my recollection of those things is things I've yet read years ago. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, they say those creases in your brain, you know, get more pronounced as you get older. <laughs> so I may have some some faulty creases going on there. But anyway, we were talking also – let me give you the numbers again to reach the show. You can reach the show live, and we'd love to have you call us this morning about whatever's on your mind. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number for We Are Just Christians. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, you can reach us by text. I'll just give the one number, 772-260-6120. we sixty one twenty. We'd be glad to take your calls or comments or text, whether you agree or disagree or want to add to what we're saying. Now, another subject came up because of a question that was asked two weeks ago. We weren't here last week live, but two weeks ago was asked about the Bible and reincarnation. And um, so we talked about that a little bit, and we'll kind of go back to that. But then, just as we went off the air, a question came in on text, couldn't get to it, about what's the relationship between deja vu and reincarnation, or does the Bible say anything about deja vu? Now, I want to begin this thing by reminding you of what we said about reincarnation. I, I don't believe that reincarnation fits with the Bible picture of of history or anything else. Reincarnation is something that comes from Eastern religion. Those who try to incorporate karma and reincarnation into Bible teaching are simply not being faithful to the text of the Bible, both specifically and in a ge- generic way as to what the Bible is. The Bible pictures history as something that God created, as it were, time. From eternity, God made time and put humans in this realm of time to exist, and it's a one-way thing. It flows one direction, if you want to use that as an image. And it has a point to it. There is a goal or an end of history. There's a teleos, as we would say in Greek, or an end point, a, a reason for it to be. And history is flowing in the direction of the salvation of man. With Christ as the centerpiece of that history, And his second coming as the culmination of that history ending in judgment. So now this is not the way this is not the way that Buddhists or Hindus, in particular Hindus, picture history. It's a big circle. That's this circle of life thing that Disney promotes to your children all the time.
1: That the Lion King and all yeah,
0: yes. It's just a big circle that spins round and round. And goes around and around and never really stops until everything reaches a state of nothingness, of nirvana or nothingness, not heaven, but nir- but nothingness. And so uh, I guess I saw a t shirt the day, a guy had a t shirt on, and said, I had a picture, some, a glass of beer, and said, equals nirvana. Several beers equal nirvana. Well, I don't think he really had a good idea of what
1: nirvana, nirvana
0: means in the true sense of the word. We've misused it in our modern English. It means reaching a state of nothingness. And the Bible does not picture history going in that direction at all. It pictures history as involving man interacting with God on both a group and individual level, and God being the judge of man's actions and motives in that matter, and Christ being the only salvation we have from our own error and our own sin. And history is going to culminate... With the great judgment scene of Christ and Christ destroying the world by fire when he comes again, wrapping all things up and becoming, then returning all things to the Father, uh, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now we can look and read all those scriptures I just referred to, but I'm giving you the, the uh, what do we call it, the Cliff Notes version there, yeah. Gary. <clears throat> In any event, I spent part of my time as a teacher trying to figure out how to ask questions that would tell whether a kid had read Cliff Notes. Or rather, actually, read the book that was assigned. But, but in the event um, that that's why I would say it contradicts. It. Now, now as for a scripture, w- the one that comes to mind readily, we could have several that say that Christ is the end of things or the the goal of things. You have this passage in Hebrews chapter nine, and it uses a, a word here twice that is very critical to our understanding. And this is why I say. History is moving and time is moving in one direction, according to the Bible. And so to put reincarnation or karma onto this is simply to ignore what's being said, and it's a disservice to it. Here, the writer of Hebrews says, in speaking of the parallel between the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system and Christ, for Christ, he says, has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear. In the presence of God for us not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another that is the animal he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages does that indicate a circle or a linear direction it's obviously linear here the Bible says the ages are linear now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of, of many. And to those who were eagerly away for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. That is to bring us back to God. So here's this word, actually it's used three times here. Once and it's the, the word is a unique word in Greek hop as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago Which means one time only it's speaking not of an event that occurs once a year But that occurs one time Okay men are born once men die once certain things only happen once Okay, and and you know I tell you we don't like this as human beings I I really am so thrilled when I know when I buy something, I can take it back.
1: There, a, there, that, that there's, there's a way
0: out of this. Okay? There's,
1: there's one of those reasons I go back to that I don't think men wrote this.
0: Right. Once. Because we would always want to give everybody a second or third or fifth chance as we do. Well, let me let me. We don't let, want life to end one time. We want to end men, you know, to go through everything. So let,
1: let me propose that the Old Testament says it in a different way. It says the very same thing in Ecclesiastes nine, beginning in verse five. He says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun.
0: Right. So you are not coming back. You're
1: not coming that's back. That's a good
0: passage, Gary. Thank you. By the way, we have a phone call from Jerry uh, on from Fort Pierce. Are you there, Jerry? I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I missed the message.
2: Oh, that's all right, Mike. Good morning, guys. How are you wondering when I was eight years old, my dad was a pilot and he flew me and my older brother. He was a year older than me up to a a Catholic seminary in Northern Michigan and uh, to a summer camp. And uh, you know, I, I stayed there and my brother, uh, he was only there for a short time. He called my dad and my dad came and got him. Uh, But when he was, when he was taking off out of this grass field, uh, it was a tail wheeler, it wasn't tricycle gear. It was a tail wheeler, and his his tail wheel just about hooked the, the you know telephone wires. And I always, uh, even though I was only an eight year old kid, I stayed there, and uh, I always wondered that was that sound like it was kind of a little miracle there that his, his tail wheel didn't get caught. On the telephone wires, and I'd like to listen on there. That be okay, Mike?
0: Okay, Jerry. Thank you for your call. Boy, you, you, he brings gary always brings up these huge subjects <laughs> with a personal experience, which I really appreciate. Um, you know, well,
1: this, the,
0: this really is the, another a whole subject on the matter of providence versus miracles, miracles.
1: That, that's which where are,
0: we're probably going to have to deal with. On another whole show, maybe next week, Jerry. But we can we can kick this off and get it started a little bit uh, for you. There there is a difference in my understanding of things, and I was thinking about this this morning for some reason. I got up was up a little early, and uh, about about some things that have happened. There's a difference between a miracle and providence. The Bible pictures miracles not just as something amazing that happens, but something that has a specific purpose in In the history of the salvation of man,
1: to bring people
0: to belief,
1: and also it is out of the realm of the way the world works
0: naturally works. Yes, it isn't just wow, the miracle of birth. Well, birth is not a miracle, and now we can we can use it in our own language. Birth is a the birth of a baby is a miracle.
1: That's I understand
0: that, but that's not how the Bible uses the word miracle. So when you read miracle, symbolic
1: or or basically apocalyptic, it's a
0: hyperbole hyperbole of some kind. Because birth is something that happens all the time in the world that we live in. God does. Now, it's a, it is a miracle in the sense that God made it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Or we, God may not create, uh,
1: we may not understand all the yeah, aspects of it.
0: God but. created the, the, the way that humans and animals are born and conceived and born and grow in the womb and, and brought to life. And I witnessed the birth of all five of my children. So I understand what you're saying. But, I, but I'm also saying that, that God God made that, but that is the way the world works in an ordinary fashion, as, if, as it may be. God set certain things in motion as he, when he created the worlds. Certain laws of physics and matter and time and space all were set in motion. Laws and principles we don't even understand yet entirely altogether. We don't even begin to understand them, I don't think. The more I read about modern physics, Gary, the more I'm telling you. That the real people who know something about this say we don't know anything yet. Okay.
1: That's, and been, yet my, they, yet that's, been, that's been my personal experience working in engineering, developing new technologies and things like that. Uh, is my perception is that we do not understand the complexity of the universe at all. And a
0: generation ago, they're saying, well, physics is dead because we already know it all. Yeah. Okay. And now we're saying, no, that may not be true at all. And same thing in biology with now the advance of genetics and and epi, epigenetics and other things. So yes, there are amazing things in the world, okay, that, that we are see. not necessarily not miracles in the way that the Bible used the word a miracle, which means God suspends the natural law, does something completely outside the natural law, like the virgin birth we mentioned before, like walking on water, like, like raising Lazarus, the dead, Lazarus
1: okay? from the dead or yes. Jesus from the dead. Right. Those are miracles.
0: Those are something that are a suspension or an abrogation of the law that God made in the beginning. Now, God's in. when I say this is a miracle and this is natural or providential, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying God has nothing to do with that which is providential or that which is natural. He's behind all of that. I'm simply saying it's a different expression of his will. And so I can point to many things in my life, like Jerry just pointed there, that have happened that could have gone and likely should have gone another way but didn't go that way at all and uh, that's called providence one way or the other and i'll use a simple illustration sometimes we're stuck in a big traffic jam somebody told me the other day a story where they're stuck in traffic for 45 minutes or more and they finally get to where the accident was and there's nothing there there's no sign of Anything, apparently, except on the map where the accident was, maybe one police car. They have no idea. And so they felt kind of miffed, at least that it should have been able to see what caused them to be late and all these bad things. In their mind, all these bad things happened because they were late for an appointment. Of course, I'm thinking about the person. You think you had a bad day. What about the person who...
1: Was involved three or four in times the accident, in a car
0: maybe was killed and, or, or in, badly injured. Their life is altered forever in the lives of their loved ones.
1: Well, I'll, I'll use will use a little bit other example. Well, we, we we don't understand whether it's providence for our good or bad. That
0: well, way. that's right because that very flat tire that you had, or we had a flat, red
1: light that you got red caught. light
0: that you got caught at could have actually spared you from a, a death experience from a fatal accident. When you when you start off on a journey and you pray that God might give you a safe journey and you go down the road and you have a flat tire, are you upset because you didn't get where you were going on time? Or do you think back and say, well, perhaps this is God looking down the road and seeing that if you continue at the rate and speed and circumstances that you're at, you're going to be involved in a fatal accident down the road, and so because of your prayer that day, he alters the circumstance and some something something causes the air to go out of the tire, maybe you hit a nail uh, a, a screw and we had hit a screw somewhere the other day caused a flat tire a long time later, several hours and hours later that that screw fell off a truck somewhere. who knows where was thrown on the road by some kid I don't know God knows all those circumstances. And yet he's able to steer the car, as it were, of the universe to make it come out this way. And yet, or maybe he looks down the road and says, well, Mike prayed for a safe journey, but I don't see any problem. Everything's going to go smoothly. So at the end of the day, what do I know? I don't know.
1: I don't know what God did or didn't do about that. Right. And yet we have to realize that God, have, with all of this control, allows us to make our own choices. We've got to understand that he allows us to make our own choices, particularly about how we deal with him. With all that power, he can still allow us freedom. Yeah, that that is that is one of the most amazing things to me about God. Well, that, that
0: what people forget, what Calvinists forget and what, what and what other people forget, people who don't believe in God had the problem. People who believe God controls everything had this problem is that what the Bible pictures is a universe in which. God made according to his laws, and he lets it operate under those basic laws. People get cancer not because God wants to kill them, but because the universe is made a certain way. And, and people die when they fall off a building, not because God killed them, or it was their time, as it were, but they stepped off a ledge and slipped and fell, and gravity took over, and the impact killed them, and so forth. But that's not to say that God does not is not able, now that he's made the universe and set it in motion, to also... Steer the universe as he desires to bring about the end result as he desires that's
1: called providence This is one thing that I would like to point out to the Calvinists. Here is a God who can control everything And has the ability to control everything and yet controls everything and still allows us to make our own choices to me, that God is more powerful than the Calvinist God.
0: Right. And that we we mentioned this. Um, I don't know if I can find it here. Uh, <clears throat> we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago.
1: It's easier if you just control everything and make it work out the way you want. Yes.
0: The, the, uh, the, the Presbyterian or Calvinist creed is that God from all eternity. Here's the quotation from the Westminster Confession of Faith. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will. Freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So God is ordained unchangeably whatsoever. Those are big words, Gary. Unchangeably and whatsoever are big word whatsoever comes to pass. So if anything, anything that has happened or will happen, God has already preordained that that is exactly what is going to happen, and nothing could have possibly changed that. I'm not sure where prayer comes into that. Are you? Yeah. Now, that's a problem. It it sounds like, oh, and this is called the Calvinist view of the sovereignty of God. Well, what you're saying is you have a – and I would say here's the word I would put on that, what what a scholar like uh, Jack Cottrell puts on it. Is that this is the omni causal view of sovereignty? That God is the cause of all things, He is the only cause of all things. Now, there is another kind of causality or view of sovereignty is that God, because of free will, is able to control the end of history and what happens, but He does not cause all things to happen as they were. The Bible just doesn't make sense. And neither does God's nature make much sense if God unchangeably foreordained everything that came to pass. And we've talked about this many times before. I think it's a crucial issue in religion. It's one that divided even the Greeks in their own way discuss this issue. The Iliad and the Odyssey and all those books were written about this very issue of the fates and free will and all that. And so did did God cause Jerry's father to just miss the. The what the, the telephone wire and so this back of his plane didn't catch on it and save Jerry's life for some big purpose. I, I imagine so on some ways. But perhaps Jer, did Jerry's father have anything to do with that, though. He did. He did. And and sometimes a person can be doing the best they can possibly do. And they're still going to hit the wire and clash.
1: Well, so in and, and the way the way many we simply of those, don't know those older aircraft were made, even if he had hit the wire, what would have been the result?
0: Well, we don't know. Do we, we don't know. We don't know. And, and so th- that that's my point about it. So that's why here's how I in the end. This is what I would tell you, Jerry and everything else. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. It doesn't mean just when things go the way you wish they would have gone and you not had a flat tire or you not been stuck in traffic or uh, maybe even not that someone you know was killed in an accident or killed and murdered. We don't know. I need to learn that in in the final analysis every, every event, whether God's providence brought you there or whether you got there through your own ignorance or whether you got there through your own skill, is that God's God works in all of those circumstances to those who love him. He works out what would be best. So is it always bad that a child's father dies in infancy? Hmm. I don't know that it, 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 it could be, you know, there have been books written about. Um, well, I, I, I'm trying to express this properly, see if I can say this the right way that certain people had an opportunity to kill Adolf Hitler when he was a child, and he almost died several times. Was that God sparing Hitler's life? Oh, he spared the life of a child. Well, maybe, but if you you assume that Hitler was going to automatically, because God had ordained it, go on to kill all those millions of people, then maybe he should have been killed as a child, but of course he couldn't because God had already ordained that he wouldn't. But, you know, th- those hypothetical thoughts are just bizarre. But we don't know. Some things that happen we think are good turn out to be very bad. And you you read stories about serial killers and, and people had a chance for, for them to, to kill them or turn them in, and they didn't. Well, who, who caused that?
1: Or they came close to being captured and escaped. And they escaped they and they killed other things. people. I mean, you know, uh, so
0: when we start looking at providence here, all I'm saying about providence is I, th- I want to give thanks to God for everything because I don't know how it's all going to turn out. What God does look at is not how long I live, not how many children I have, not how long they live. He looks at what happens in my heart in relation to Him and other people. He's looking at that. And He doesn't, nobody, we don't have to live to be 99 years old for that to all play out to the satisfaction of God. All right, well, I've got a couple minutes left, Gary. Go ahead and sum this up. I
1: I was just going to say I want to reiterate the point that God gives us choices. He gives us the choice of accepting him, serving him, or not. And yet, giving someone choice is to give over or to not be able to control that particular part. Yet, in the overall control of things, Job says, I know that you can do everything, he says of God. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Yes. Now, this goes back to that. Even it, even giving us freedom, no purpose of He still is able
0: his, to make it come out, in his, essence, like he wants to.
1: Like he wants it.
0: But that that probably does away with the idea of individual election, that God individually selects people before the foundation of the world and comes up more with something like selection by blesser of the poor in spirit well paul god's already I, made his mind up about that and I, that's how things work out that the poor spirit are blessed
1: i believe paul says that that we were predestined by the gospel that he preaches or called by the gospel too, are called by and,
0: the gospel as that's right so uh in any event jerry we we'll, i might pick up on this another show we appreciate i appreciate you calling in very much helping us out with that question and john texting us uh, but we we want to take the last minute or so of the show here to tell you a little bit about the church and encourage you to listen to the to this show in other ways. You can email this show at justchristians at att dot net. Just Christians, one word at att dot net. You can listen to this show anywhere you are. In fact, I listened to the recording of the show in Tampa the, last week by just going to wpsl dot com, clicking on the and clicking on the Listen Live button, and you can uh, you can. Uh, Get our podcast at WeAreJustChristians.com WeAreJustChristians.com Listen to recordings of the show We'd like to invite you to our services 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard Here in Port St. Lucie 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard We'd love to have you We're just Christians We're not going to ask you for money Come and see Come and give us a chance We'd love to see you and get acquainted Thanks for listening today And may God bless you WPSO, Port St. Lucie.
2: It's 10 o'clock.